Hello and welcome to the Sovereign Collective Podcast, where we bring you real raw truth for your self-empowerment. I'm your host, Sasha Calavota, and I believe that you can stand on your own two feet, but that you don't have to do it alone. I love learning from people who continually strive to raise the bar, to go against mainstream thinking, and who dare to question the general consensus. People are risking ridiculed or even risk the loss of their professional status as they bravely question the common narratives and challenge the rest of us to expand our minds and to reconsider what we think we already know. Join me in learning how to take control of your health and your mind so that you can have the energy to think more clearly and the confidence to step up and take responsibility for all aspects of your life. We promise to never censor here because I believe you are strong enough to hear the real raw truth to make up your own mind. If you like what you find here at the Sovereign Collective Podcast, then please share with your friends and family. I so appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And now on to the show. Hi, y'all. This is Sasha here for two quick announcements before we get on to our interview for today. First of all, if you are looking for quality supplements, quality tonic herbs, some specialty food items, and you're in and around Calgary, then please go check out Lotus Herbal Health, a great family-run store that has two locations in Calgary. You can find them at lotusherbalhealth.ca to find out where their locations are, or you can shop online and they will pretty much deliver anywhere. So quality supplements, tonic herbs, great staff, check out lotusherbalhealth.ca. Secondly, I want to announce the relaunch of my program called Your Conscious Pregnancy and Parenting Guide, which consists of experts in their fields around the world on consciousness and parenting and education and nutrition and dentistry and homeopathy and more. This is a program I created after my son was born about 10 years ago, a little bit more than that. And I am now very concerned after the events of 2020 for our future generations. And I believe the time is now for conscious parenting and for conscious parents to rise up and take, to take back our pregnancies and our births and our parenting and the resilience of our children and of future generations. The time is now. We change the course of history by changing the course of our future generations. And we do that by consciously raising them, consciously birthing them, consciously conceiving them, feeding them good food, and taking back the responsibility of raising healthy, well-adjusted, robust people. Resilience. It's time to build resilience. So please go check out sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide, and you will be able to check out all of the amazing material in there. It's time for us to understand how our worldviews are formed, how our self-views are formed, and how to impact that and how that impacts the society on a whole. So check it out, sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide. And now on to the show. Hello, everyone. It's Sasha here with another interview for the Sovereign Collective podcast. And I have the honor of once again interviewing Naomi Aldort, parenting guide extraordinaire and world-renowned speaker and educator. And today we're going to get into the topic of self-directed learning, which I think is becoming more and more relevant in today's world where many people and parents are considering removing their children from the regular school system, traditional school system, and bringing them home, which I think might be a good idea for many. So Naomi is, has traveled the world. She's speaks at workshops and on summits. You can find her on her website, naomialdort.com or authenticparent.com. That's going to get you to the same place. And she also is the author of the excellent book, 
raising our children, raising ourselves. I highly recommend that all parents get that book and put that on their shelves, but make sure you read it before you do that and bring it down many times to consult that book, to bring ease into your parenting and to bring a, perhaps a little bit of a different insight as to why the dynamics of your family are the way that they are. And it'll also perhaps give you insight as to why you are the way you are as well. So just an excellent, excellent resource. If you're having troubles with your family, if you are struggling, then please go to Naomi's website. You will find a plethora of information, but you will also be able to learn how you can engage directly with Naomi, whether it be one-on-one, -on -one, in person, or online. You will definitely benefit with that. And what I love about Naomi's approach is that it's extremely respectful of our children. It really honors them as a whole fully formed human and not it's not a an approach that tries to mold the child into what we believe they should be, but honors who they are and it brings us gives us insight as to why they are behaving the way they are and how we can work with that. And she's also quite an authority on the whole edu education aspect, having raised and unschooled three boys herself very successfully. So that is what we're going to be getting in today. So thank you, Naomi, for being with me once again. I really look forward to getting into it today. Great topic. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm ready. All right. We're ready. Let's go. Okay. So first of all, let's just talk about the current education system. How would you explain it in your view? I don't know how to explain it because that would be a whole history lesson of how this authoritarian controlling bossing children uh, around and telling them what to do started. That's a whole history book. But what it does, the, the current thing is children of same ages are together in one classroom being told what to do uh, with time, their enthusiasm for learning moves away from what we see in the three years old at home who just asks question, question, question. I want to know everything, wants to learn everything, wants to accomplish everything, which never dies if you don't send them to school. But so one thing that I see, it kills enthusiasm uh, gradually. You know, the first grades uh, are still playful these days and they may still feel good about it but later on you ask them what you like the most about school and I always now I guess it for them I say recess right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if they're real a little free they will say it on their own uh, being with friends but uh, or athletics or something if they have something like that art or something that they like um, it suppresses emotions it suppresses the whole um, who the child is you know it's like it tells the child don't be who you are, don't follow what you feel like doing, do what someone else tells you to do, and basically heal the self, you know, put that aside, that's no good. So it's, and, and don't express about that. So it's an indoctrination, it's a manipulation. Uh, it teaches obedience um, uh, away from the self into what somebody else tells you to do and bury who you are. And it also teaches fear of adults. You know, it's like one of the things that, that I love in homeschooling or democratic schools is, can we raise children who are not afraid of adults? That would be a great, great goal. Uh, and, you know, that school does the opposite. It teaches fear of adults, intimidation. Um, 
And it also teaches how to get by with as little as possible, because as you do things that you don't even enjoy and you're not interested in, you know, how can you do your homework as little as possible? How can you pass the test somehow with as little as possible and forget it the next day? The school is really a constant bossing people around. They, it's a hierarchical. It belongs, I don't know, not even in history, but in recent Western history, it's disrespectful. The criteria of what one should learn, what one should do with their time, where they should be, where they should sit, or if they should sit or go outside and play, it's all forced criteria. Who decides? The government? I mean, like the teacher is following instructions too. They're stuck in the same thing. It's a fabricated idea. Which subject should learn? Why not communication? How to be parents? Why not about what to eat, good food, instead of giving them junk food and teaching them nothing about it? Uh, mm -hmm. There's so many, you know, how to deal with emotions, how to communicate. Uh, nobody teaches that. You know, there are 11 subjects and this is what you learn or in different countries, different subjects, maybe in Canada it's 12 or 10 or whatever. Uh, it's very forced. And then there is the putting the blind with the blind. You put in a class the same age unnatural and cut their wings off. Now they can't even help each other. The best thing that happens by nature and the democratic schools have that is mixed ages yeah. with adults too, right? with everybody. And you know, so you put them with their own age, they can't actually help each other. They're disabled in the same places. I call it putting the blind with the blind and see how they help each other. So they are being with the same age they become dependent, more dependent on the teacher. It's like you can't even survive in the young ages because they're bullies and, you know, old ages, they're bullies, young ages, they're just pull each other's hair if you don't supervise all the time. So they're learning that they're disabled, that somebody has to tell them what to do, that they can't get along with other people. They learn bad social skill uh, yeah. to not trust yourself, to be follower. Um, and they have no autonomy all day, but it's, it's really antisocial because the social skills you learn with peers who are as disabled as you in the same places, so there is a lot of problems, dependency on somebody to fix it, and whatever happens that doesn't work, you learn that. So if, you know, in kindergarten and first grades, if kids pull stuff from each other or heat, they learn to heat, you know, it's like... A, it works to some degree, no matter how much the teacher will tell them that that's not the thing to do. There is a certain part of them that learn that's part of the deal. Mm -hmm. and, and the teachers can't be in every place at the same time, especially in the young ages, in the kindergarten. They also learn compliance as part of the loss of self, you know, do what you're told, uh, which is dangerous, by the way, do what you're told is also being molested, you know. Some adult comes and tells you, uh, do what you're told, take your clothes off or whatever, or, or uh, drugs uh, as they become young adults or drinking, you know, do what you're told, do what everybody is doing. Uh, learning to fit in is another very high price, um, you know, and become whoever someone else tells you to become. Give up on who you are uh, and strive for approval for, you know, that comes in the form of grades and praise and kudos and, 
uh, and names of what kind of student you are, as you become dependent on approval, which is insecurity. You know, when you depend on approval of others, that's what insecurity is, that doesn't build confidence. You learn not to think for yourself. You just become a very good sheep, a follower, uh, and you're rewarded for being a sheep and regurgitating what you were told in the test and being the good girl and the good boy. But like Vygotsky said, the, the Russian philosopher, uh, no great people come out of good little girls and boys. You know, it's the rebels or those who are not um, controlled like this. And then the praise is terrible. You know, everybody is just seeking rewards and praise and yeah. it kills the authentic interest. So how can you be interested in something if the thing to do is the one I get praise for rather than what I'm interested? So you learn to ignore yourself and your inclination. Then you also learn short attention span, you know, 45, 50 minutes and the bell rings. You know, when you have kids at home or in democratic school or a variety of free schools, they can be for hours and hours doing the same thing yeah. of their own passion. In fact, they can be months. One of my children, he was, I called him a four month uh, kid. He would get up in the morning and do 10 hours a day, the same thing and go with it for four months. And then all of a sudden switch. And I say four months, it's not precise and not in everything. And some things lasted for years, uh, side by side with some other four months thing. They also learn to compete rather than to cooperate. They learn to hate the other kid and to want them to fail. Because if, if Ronnie uh, puts their hand up, I hope they'll have the wrong answer so I can impress the teacher with mine. You know, and then the teacher asks them and you're, I hope he has the wrong answer. I hope he has the wrong grade so that, you know, I can shine. So it's training them for a rat race against each other and fitting in like sheep. So this is, you know, I can talk for hours about how much harm, and it's not in what they're learning, it's in the structure, the process, it's like junk food, you know, it's not what the ingredients are, it's how they've been made. Right you know, with right. heat and, and, and toxic pots and whatever, even if it's all organic, it's just toxic. So right. I would say school is pretty toxic. It's not that, I don't want people to get the impression that if their kid has to go to school into public school, that it's a disaster because I always talk to parents about how huge a difference the home makes. And the, the hugest difference is don't expect them to be good students in every subject. I will tell a kid who has to go to school because I would tell them honestly, I'd rather you be free, but I have to work. Dad has to work, you have to go to school. We can't afford a, a private school uh, and lots of private schools are the same anyway. Study what you like, do the minimum what you don't like so that you can move on and not, you know, suffer, <laughs> you know? And, and I don't care about your grades, just, you know, do what works for you that brings you the most pleasure with passion and do what you don't like, you know, oh yeah, my God. Buy with as little as possible. That's what I would tell a kid. And then if a teacher complains about the kid, 
I would be on the kid's side. I wouldn't just say, hey, why did the teacher send me a note, this and this and this? What did you do wrong? I would assume the teacher is wrong because they are. They don't know your kid that well. So I will ask the kid, oh my God, what happened? I'm sure you, that's That's not- what I love about you. You're such an advocate for the children, right? There's such a lack of advocacy for the children. How many parents are like that? And they, they're on the child's side and they're supporting, do what you love. Don't do much of what you have to do. Just get like, it's, it's hilarious. Like how many kids actually go through life like that? And especially around school, all our kids, we want them to get that report card and those grades. And that's, yeah, but that's the ego trip of the parents. And it's not, yes, Yes. I, I always tell parents, I treat children, parents with the same respect. And I tell them, it's not your fault. You were trained in this system. And now yeah. that's why I said one of the worst things you get out of school is becoming a seeker of approval. So oh, now as a parent, you seek approval through your kid. You know, my kid should look good. Right. So look good. Yes. You never so lose that need, really, right? Yeah. It's yeah. Really and we can see. It goes really far. Well, and we can see this is, we are living the results of that right now compliance you don't want to stick out you need the approval of everybody else you have to look like you're doing the right thing you can't go against the grain like you just listen it doesn't matter if the rule is uh, today is 180 degrees opposite of what they were telling you to do yesterday you just comply that compliance is so dangerous and we've seen that so exactly wow yes (laughs) so that sounds completely dysfunctional what you were just like everything that you just said yeah uh so how about yes but oh, but again, I, I just want to i mm-hmm. don't want to end yeah. what with that it's dysfunctional as dysfunctional as it is there are some amazing teachers with very good intentions right some of them break the wall of the dysfunction a lot of them do really really amazing stuff some kids couldn't do without school because the home is worse wow, <laughs> and good point. Other, and yeah others um, you know, when you have loving parents, they really need to make sure it's possible to help the child not be harmed by the school at, as much at all, to really support them in staying rooted in themselves in the home. So I don't want anybody to feel horrible that their kid has to go to school because if the last thing you say is so dysfunctional, yes, it is. And human beings are pliable powerful and can survive if they have what I teach in my book, free self-expression, free choice within the system as much as it can be, support of parents, not parents and teachers align against them. Uh, So if parents change, that's why I often work with parents whose children go to school. Not all my clients are are homeschooled or democratic Mm -hmm. school uh, students. And, And I help them to make the best of it and to make it work. So I really don't want anybody to take it into this extreme, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in the school with very good intentions and doing excellent job within what's possible. Right. And that peace at home, just being the advocate for the child can go so far. And even that one, and it might be just one teacher that that has those great intentions and then that that could affect that child for the rest of their lives right as right. well so yeah so there's i mean we're not all completely screwed and most of us have gone to school i went to regular school not to say that i'm perfect by any means but i i don't but think we're all doomed 
nobody is perfect even if they didn't go to school right exactly if, if and it's were, not about that right it's not about perfection we, we, we have to get away from needing to find perfection so exactly. okay well that's great so there are other schools though that I would believe that are alternatives to the system like you've you mentioned de democratic schools a few times so what are um existing school models out there that might be more so i have to admit that most alternative school are the same in terms of the principle of control other than the democratic school uh the regio Emilia for the early ages is completely respectful of children uh montessori assumes themselves very respectful but it's a little more controlling but it's it's for the time maria montessori was just amazing i think she would be where i am now uh, so, mm -hmm. so it progress. Uh, I don't like alternative schools other than those, mostly also because uh, even Steiner, um, the teachers are followers of a method. I wouldn't want my child to be taught by followers. That's true in the in the regular school, of mm -hmm. course. Um, but uh, definitely following of a specific method. I really want the kid to take us to where they need us to help them if they need help and to find their own path and and all the alternative schools are mostly like the 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 steiner schools um and so for people who don't know steiner schools it's the waldorf schools the waldorf, right? schools, waldorf school right. right yeah they have a much better content to what they teach but again, the context of how the school is run teaches more than the content that you're teaching. Ah, and, and the okay. structure is still same age sitting in a class following the teachers being told what to do. Even if the toys are made of wood and fabric and organic and sing music with acoustic instruments and you know all that stuff is wonderful, but it's still in a context of controlling the child. So it, a lot of schools pretend to be free, but the only one that I consider really viable in terms of freedom is the democratic school because it's run by the kids. The staff members are hired and fired by the kids. Hmm. They vote on if they want to have a class and they choose the teacher and only those who sign up for the class go to the class. So they have to come up with it. They have to enroll enough other kids to want it. They have to find a teacher. Uh, and, and then, you know, it keeps going from there. Um, and because they stop learning when we start teaching. In the democratic school, the teachers are not called teachers. They're staff member, members. They're not allowed to tell kids what to do. Literally, you know, you'd lose your job if you do that. You cannot tell kids what to do or even make suggestions of how they should spend their time unless they ask you you know if a child comes to a teacher and say what would you think about this can you help you with me with this again how we help is and that's true for parents too with homeschooling sometimes the child asks a question and we think oh opportunity for biology class <laughs> like why is the butterfly landing on the flower just answer that question right is sucking or is taking pollen and blah, 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 blah. why because it takes it to other places you know just and go future not why he does it because of past but 
What does it do? Why is it raining to water the flowers? If they ask you where the rain comes from, well, it evaporates from the ocean and then becomes cold above and, and the, the steam becomes rain. Don't go into the hole, you know, let's go in the, inside and grab a book or go online and have a meteorology uh, lesson. That's disrespectful. Stop when the questions stop. Right. And there is a generic question. Can we sit together and look for more? Deep? Sure, you can sit with them. But usually, especially in the young ages, they ask a question which is a passing interest, not a, hey, I want to delve into this for the rest of my life, which is how parents often take it. And I see that and I find parents really take offense to that. It's like, well, you asked the question, I'm answering you, you're not paying attention. And because they, they went on this big, huge diatribe, uh, this is like, no, it, it needed five words and then it was done. And then they get offended because this yeah. child's moved on already, right? And then that's going to discourage the asking of questions. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I forgot to mention that. Then when a child gets a lecture for a question that yeah. had a one sentence answer, they're not going to ask more questions. And then you would say, my cousin is not interested. It needs to be motivated. Another thing that happens in school is it kills motivation because of having to do things other people are interested in, not you, and doing it in their way and being tested, which is so disrespectful and, and mm. insulting. Uh, you know, mm. the so when, what, what do you say to the parent that says, well, how do you know what they know? If you're not testing, how do you know what they're learning and they should be learning at a certain stage? How, how do you go about that if you don't test? You don't need to know. Why do you need to know? Do you need to know what I know? Okay. I mean, no, it's, I think that's <laughs> totally valid. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, I, I totally disagree with having to know what the child knows. You know, if the child is free to learn what they want to learn, it's they're in charge of deciding what they know. And, you know, and eventually if they go to college, uh, they want to study something specific, they will, it'll come out of themselves. It's their own motivation to be accepted to a certain school and to study certain things. And I see kids who grow up free. When they go to college, they're accepted because they're doing a, instead of doing a, a test or, or, you know, they have, no, what I'm saying, they don't have test results, let's say, or grades from school if they didn't go to school. Instead, they have a meeting with the dean of the university. They ask for an interview because they say, look, I don't have the normal paper, but I'd like to talk and explain where I come from, mm -hmm. uh, what evaluations I have or what knowledge I have. And time after the other, you know, they have a, a booked 15 minutes meeting with a dean and the parents are waiting and waiting. And I hear all these stories. An hour and a half later, the dean wow. and the kid are coming out, shaking each other's hand and the dean saying, I want this kid. This is so much better than anything I get with the nice. papers, with all the praise from the teachers. He was the best student in class and he has all these good <laughs> grades and he's like a good sheep. A good, you know, good boy, yeah. Jerusalem. I mean, it's like, you know, and he said, here I have an alive person who wants to come to my school because he loves one of my professors whose book he already read. And, right. and like an adult. So I hear a lot of those kind of interviews or if they didn't go to school and didn't do formal studying all their lives, my own children went like this. 
they go to college after doing whatever this college requires. So they go do SAT tests, GED tests. You know, my kids studied for those tests over one of them took two months, the other one three weeks at age 15. And I wasn't even involved, self-directed. The 15 years old said, uh, I found the material that I need to learn. Uh, I need your credit card. I gave him the credit card. <laughs> order to go. I still never saw the books in my life. I wonder if they're somewhere still in the playroom wow. <laughs> because I wasn't involved. So he studied for three weeks and then I drove him to the tests and he passed in the 97 percentile on, on, in science, in, in physics, you know, wow. and, you know, he passed everything. And I asked him, how come you pass all of this that takes 12 years for other kids to learn that they're supposed to know by age 18? He said, I don't know. It, there's not much to learn. Probably takes a long time when you sit in the classroom with same age kid and being told what to do and you don't want to. So you have to hammer it over and over again and go very slow and do all these methods against the will of the children. My other kid, he studied math. Um, it, it, he never studied math as a kid and he had to do math. And I asked him, uh, did you check the book and see if you need a tutor because you never did math. My other kid did some. I had a kid who loved math and did his own thing, you know, not, not anything that somebody taught him. Uh, but this kid never did. And he said, yeah, I looked in the middle of the book and it explains everything. So I did the, the questions and I was able to answer them correctly. I said, did you go to the end of the book? He said, yeah, actually I did. And same thing, it explains everything. So he was already 18. So my conclusion was it's brain development. If you teach a person yeah. the right thing at the right age, you don't teach a six month old to walk. They'll learn at one or between one and two. And you know, you take 18 years old, they learn math in two months or three weeks. <laughs> but you teach, you teach it to them at an age that the brain isn't ready for, and it's 12 years of struggle. Right. That relationship between kids and adults. Right. And just beliefs that they're, that they're dumb or they're not, or they're behind, or they have a learning disability or yeah, there, I, I know there are a few studies that show where they, they leave certain concepts until later. And it's just, you allow that brain to develop and boom, it's just ready to just understand it. Not only that, but not every child needs math. They need to be okay. able to, to do their checkbook and uh, taxes maybe, or they can hire somebody. I mean, if they're going to be engineer or, or physicist or mathematician, of course they will learn it, but they'll learn it in a very short time when they're passionate about it and their brain is, is developed for this. Okay, so let's, because you, so you talked about like self-directed learning. So I want to talk about, like, I want to have you explain that. And then if we can talk into, because you're saying not everyone needs to go through math. You don't have to go through all the levels of math. What about like, these are the questions I think that a lot of parents have. Well, what about reading? What about math? What about socialization? Which I think you kind of already addressed in the first time, but what is self-directed learning and how, how do you address these concerns around learning the, the things that we're supposed to learn? Okay, so remind me if you if I forget because you asked a few things. So okay. let me cover math and reading because we just talked about math. I'll go a little more. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, there's more to say about social, but remind me if I forget. So okay. reading. Um, 
children will learn to read on their own. The proof is they learn to talk on their own and every child that was left to their own, you can't stop them from learning to read because it's all over the place. There are street signs, it's like there are books, you read them books, they wanna be able to read on their own. Kids are born to want to be independent. I wanna do it, I wanna do it. I wanna be able to do it by myself. That's how they're born, motivated. And if they're not motivated, we kill their motivation. So teacheria is the disease that kills motivation. Uh -huh. I that name. It's like wanting to teach. Let me teach you to read. Let me teach you this. Let me teach you that. The other thing is the most important learning that occurs in figuring out, let's say reading in this case, is the invention of the method on your own. So my three boys, I never intervened in the reading, three different methods, no phonics, nobody needs phonics. Nobody mm -hmm. on their own would ever learn a language reading and writing through phonics. They would learn right. through writing, they would learn through um, just looking again and again. They, my, one of my kids learned to read through music. He learned to read music and to read English in the same oh, wow. time because I was singing to him from the uh, musical Oliver. And I was pointing, you know, he would sit in my lap and I would sing and point to the notes under which there were letters. Mm. So, so wow. he learned it very early, but it doesn't have to be early either. The later, the better is my new song. In fact, it's, I have an article about that in, um, I think, Pathways magazine. It's okay, yes. Um, and the reason I say now, the later, the better, is the moment you read, you become dependent on the reading, memory goes down, innovation of ideas goes down. It's like they have such amazing memory. They have, they know whole books by heart. They remember word for word what grandma said. They remember, they come back from a show or a, a theater and they remember lines. They watch a, a movie and they remember the whole thing after a few times of seeing the same movie. It's unbelievable the memory they have and also the creativity. They make up stories rather than read stories. They act them out. They, they, they do all this pretend stuff. All of that gets pretty dumbed down slowly uh, in, in part or in whole depend on the child. And it's just incredible how the reading does so much uh, to changes so much how the child thinks. So for me, the later, the better. And in homeschoolers, I see children who read at age four and I, on their own, let's say, like my musical, you know, the one I just talked about, mm -hmm. but I see some that don't read till 13. Well, a week later, the, the one who read at four and the one that studied at 13, 14 or 15 are reading at the same level. Just like what we said about going to college and learning every, the math in two right. months or three weeks. It's like when your brain is ready, it's like reading isn't hard. Learning to talk is much harder. And, and this, is, this, is, this is good for me to hear because my son, I've mentioned this to you before, my son is 12. He's a, definitely a late reader. He yeah. listens to audiobooks constantly. I have read I don't know how many tens of thousands of pages to him, loves the written word, loves stories, but his memory is crazy. 
like everything. I just, I can't even believe what that kid can remember. So this is good because we live in a society where early reading is pushed so hard. Like they're teaching babies to read for God's sake. They're trying to like make your two-year-old read. Like it's, it's, it's insane. And it doesn't make you any smarter, whether you walked at one or at two, you're still right. walking, you and your friends are walking. The same with the reading. It's the same with everything. It only, and the most important learning is the invention of the method to figure it out. And by teaching them in our methods, we kill that. We killed an opportunity for okay. the child to figure it out. It's the same with math. So let me move to math. I want to give you an example of a child inventing his own method. My okay. middle son, he was very much into numbers. We used to do number games. We called it games. You sit in the car and add numbers and you know, now add, not, now subscribe, now multiply, and then we'll see you know, what the final result. And they were fighting. It's my turn now, it's my turn. It's <laughs> turn. I mean, they loved it. Anyway, but this middle child, he was into physics and and you know, figuring out how things work and numbers at an early age. He figured out relativity without knowing it. At age four and a half, he asked me one day, how big is an elephant to the ant? Oh, wow. Question of relativity. And I, I question, know, yeah. I know, and, and so I'm, I'm like, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> I, I could come up with an answer because I was so stunned by the question. So he answered it himself, like the Everest to me. Oh. Relativity. Then he did the same thing about speeds. You know, we had dinner, he got off dinner and he walks back and forth, uh, you know, thinking. And he started talking, you know, when I walk and somebody goes on a bike and I may think that I walk very fast, but relatively to the bike, I'm slow, but then if the bike keeps going and then a car goes by and he went all the way to spaceship this way, a train, a plane and a spaceship, Amazing. Uh, you know, explaining relativity. And then, you know, he wanted to, I never taught them what to do with numbers, but I bought some cards and, and um, he looked one day and he says, I want to do this. Uh, how do you do this multiplying thing? I don't remember what we were talking about. So I drew the multiplication table. He was six years old. I drew the multiplication table and I gave him two examples how you do it. In 15 minutes, he did the rest of it, not a single mistake. He said, it's too easy. Make me 100 by 100. So I had to take a butcher paper. <laughs> and it's wow. Still, I needed to do big letters because he was little. So I yeah. did 50 by 50. Yeah. And he filled up, not the whole thing. He got bored after a while, but he did not make mistakes. The same kid, one day he loved big numbers and he created giant numbers like millions and billions and he would add them up. But he added them up. All of a sudden I look and, and he would check with a calculator and they were all correct. And then one day I see over his shoulder, he's adding them from the left to the right. You right. know, we learned like automatons. You do from the right to the left and you take the extra and you move them. And I never understood this whole extras thing as a child, you know? And then I say to my son, how do you get the right answer when you start from the left? He said, oh, it's very easy. Only the last three digits, it really matters with, with you know, the, the changes. And he gave me this full explanation. And for the first time in my life at that time, I actually understood the extras. 
<laughs> so did I teach him that? No, that's not the way we do it. We go to the right. Absolutely not. Exactly. Right. Not and that's what they would do. You know, he found a different way that works. Yes. And, and the invention. That's my point about inventing, finding. And, you know, you may have a child who never does any math and never needs any math. And then they grow up and they need to balance their checkbook. They'll learn. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Or and that's the thing about that method. You know, money gets them to understand. Know, oh, yeah. Very motivating. They for play sure. Monopoly or they sell, uh, you know, some some stuff in a in a, um, a garage sale or they do the lemonade stand or whatever they mm -hmm. do. And believe me, the numbers definitely to the degree that every human being needs to know it. It does sharpen the brain, but not everybody needs that type of sharpness just right. like not everybody is a musician two of my kids are classical musicians my third one is not you know everybody their way right and so the self-directed part so i think that sounds pretty self-explanatory but are there some key things we need to know about that because i think when parents are thinking about homeschool and they have a very different idea and it's not self-directed it's school at home following a curriculum but you're a proponent of a self-directed way yes but I say expose don't impose it is our job to nurture a strive to learn to nurture it not to add to it or make it because they already have it um and remind me to talk about the social we didn't talk about yeah, that yeah um so I'm not, parents shouldn't be passive sitting back and watching TV. What we do is they will do. So I recommend with homeschooling anyway, to pursue interests together as a family, go to the zoo, go to concerts, go to theater, uh, go to acrobats performances, to festivals outdoors and indoors, uh, participate in folk dancing, uh, you know, there's so much one can do. Go, I took my son to uh, a hospice. He was interested in death and dying. And he ended up volunteering there. And in order, he said, I want to see a dying person. So I want to volunteer at the hospice. So I asked them about it. And they said, the same rule for, he was 10 years old. Same rule for a 10 years old as for uh, an adult. He has to do the three days workshop. To and pass it to qualify as an assistant. And he said, I'll do it. So the next time they had a workshop, he participated in the workshop. And then he was a volunteer in Oasis, our yeah. you know, online um, uh, hospice. And he volunteered until there was a woman that was on her deathbed and he was with her a few hours before she died. And then he said, I'm satisfied. And, and that was it. He didn't do it again, but he never had fear of death. He always said he's not afraid of death. That's a beautiful thing. Like he, he was allowed to experience it and he got, he got what he needed in the time. Like how exactly. much do we allow for that? It's like, like you said, the bell rings, oh, time to switch your focus. Not, not on his own time and exactly. really getting, and then he doesn't need that anymore because he's satisfied that when he needed it. Yeah, he was the same about his music. One day we came back from a concert uh, of a violin, a classical violin and piano, and he said, I want violin lessons. So I signed him in with a local teacher. He studied it for half a year. And um, the other prodigy who was three years old was accompanying him with Bach pieces after only half a year of lessons. 
wow. that was very advanced and the three years wow. old was you know total prodigy there um and then he said um i don't need the lessons anymore and i said fine whatever you want he said why why are you quitting and he said oh i don't need it anymore i was just curious to know how one can produce such beautiful sound out of a piece of wood amazing that the the curiosity was satisfied music was not his direction at least not then so, so and i think a lot of parents would not allow that curiosity to be satisfied being the limit to which they learn they'd be like oh no you're going to practice we signed you up you're going to take your lessons you've got a talent but they because they want to live through their children right a lot of that I can cover more about music at this time if that's if that's all right. Sure, if you want. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, the other two children are professional musicians. Uh, one of them is a cellist, is an assistant principal at the Boston Symphony Orchestra and chamber musicians on the cello. Um, and this year is actually the principal and has quite a lot of solos too. Um, but he wanted music and at age three like his brother who is a pianist composer uh improviser can play anything by ear wow. um, so those kids both at age three and a half each one of them uh, was really interesting they was the same age started playing stuff by ear the first one was playing Bach by ear and moving it from key to key etc wow. everybody told me oh you need to starting in a method with a teacher who's an expert on prodigies etc and i didn't do that i waited for them to ask and then i would you know find a teacher respectful not teaching you know rigid, rigid program um, so when the little one was six and the older one was already nine we were in a chamber music concert and when they came back all three of them said they wanted music lessons. They wanted the, the one who is not a musician wanted clarinet and the little one wanted cello. He said, because it leans on him, he didn't want to hold something up. The chamber music music. <laughs> and, and the pianist that was already playing and composing by ear, unbelievable music, said he wanted violin lessons. Purposefully, I did not call teachers right away. I wait for the three or more nags, the way they nag for going to the amusement park or, or wanting a candy. Mm -hmm. so I didn't. So the next day they come, mom, did you call a, a teacher? Oh, no, thank you for reminding me. I will. And I don't. And I, did, <laughs> I didn't until they nag the third or fourth time. And then I said, okay, I, I apologize, I'll, I'll do it now. And then I did it. And when I did it, I told them, look, we'll go and test different teachers. You'll choose your teacher. Well, the first one I didn't because they had no parameter, no frame of reference to choose. So I got recommendations and we tried something. But later on, they would interview and try a lesson with a few teachers. They were with... I told them they can change teachers anytime they want. They can change instrument anytime they want. They can quit anytime they want. When they take lessons, the agreement is very strict and disciplined. If you take lessons, I pay, or we pay, my husband and I, I drive you there. I write notes in your lessons so that if you forget something, it's written. They never needed it, but I did that. 
and you practice daily and you are ready for each lesson. Ready means you move on, not to the next piece necessarily when they're more advanced, it's you know, another level of playing it. And they agreed. And initially they practiced three times a day, then you know, gradually became more logical. But you know, the violinist quit a few times and came back to and took piano lessons, violin lessons, viola lessons later. The cellist was very, very consistent. That's why he's in one of the best orchestras in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and but needed to change teacher about every two years. He would be done with what he can get from a given teacher. Right. We had to go higher and higher. And eventually he was taking lessons with famous uh, world-renowned cellists wow. uh, in order to be able to you know, benefit and move on. And then he went to the best school of music um, that accepts very few people. Um, so, but what the importance is, don't try to manipulate them. You're interested in that. Here, let's go to this. Let's try this lesson. Take them to watch lessons. Take them to a dance show if you think they're a dancer. Take them to a, a dance class. Tell them, you know, this is how a class goes. Would you like to be part of it? Maybe they watch it on YouTube if you're showing them screen. Uh, some parents today, and I understand it and would be for it too, uh, minimize or take the screen out. Uh, so whatever it is, and respect the child's choice. So some parents say, oh, we signed up for the class. They should learn commitment. I paid for three months. So that was your commitment, not his. He's not right. learning commitment. He's learning to be coerced against his will for some commitment you made. It's only money. Why ruin the child? sense I can trust myself whether I want to go on with this class. They don't know if they would like the class or not until they're actually in the class. Right, right. That so, makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. I have to ask, did you know before you had children that you were this way and that you had such a respect for children that you would raise them that way? Was that just inherent in you? Well, I read as a young adult, I was very interested in education and children. So I read Summerhill at age 22. That's mm. a book of, by the man, the psychologist who created the first democratic, it was a boarding school for disturbed kids who can't handle regular school. Right. Uh, so the democratic schools today are not boarding schools generally, and they're much, much even better. Um, but his book changed my life. So uh, it was way before I had children and I was a piano teacher and I taught piano with that kind of a respect. Wow. So uh, parents would come to me and ask for psychology sessions for the whole family because they say, they said the child would come home and be transformed. <laughs> you know, it's like one mother said to me, my daughter has been for seven years to a psychiatrist because we have problematic family and she's been defiant and this and that. And in two months of lessons with you, she produced more results and more release of her emotional issues than she's done in seven years with a psychiatrist. Right. So they asked me for sessions. Right, nice. Okay, so yeah. let, let's talk- um, Socialization. So yes. Let's and, talk uh, about that one. That's always a big thing that comes up. If your kid isn't going to school, if they're homeschooled, what about the socialization aspect? Right. So this is a funny one because the only socialization happens outside of school. 
school is antisocial because it controls, uh, it's hierarchical, and you are only with your, your same age being told what to do uh, and competing against each other. So really wishing for the others to fail. Uh, so it's a combination of bad setup that actually leads to bullying. You know, if the other student is really good, then the kid who feels deprived and maybe mistreated at home, it's a combination. Uh, unable to get the good grades like the queen of the class or the king of the class that has the best uh, grades. That kid is likely to bully the other person because it takes away from their ability to feel good about themselves since feeling good has to do with grades and praise and, you know, and, and approval um, and being like everybody else and fitting in. And that's the other thing they learn in school, which is bad, is to fit in, to be like everybody else, not just in age, but dress the same, be the same, you know, erase differences by having a uniform rather than accept everybody the way they are and love them regardless of whether they're poor or rich. Um, you know, so instead of teaching those qualities or em embracing them so that children by nature wouldn't even develop such differentiations, we put them in uniform to erase, to pretend that the differences aren't there. That, that doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. So all, and we tell a child, you know, we help them. Parents ask me, how do I help my child to fit in? And I say, right. Don't. fitting in is not a good goal. What, you want them to be a gang member later? It's you want them to be under peer pressure, under media pressure. You want them to uh, feel they have to fit in and then somebody gangs on them online and they become suicidal. I mean, for God's sake, that's not what we want. We want a child to not have any desire to fit in, to just be authentic and to connect and to contribute, to be a contribution, not about themselves and fitting in or any of that. Right. Yes. And so what happens to the free person in the democratic school, they're usually ages four till 19. So there's no age and the adults are equal members of the community. So a, a child can spend his day with one of the staff members if they want to, you know, come to them and say, can we read this book together? Sure. Uh, or, or play with kids of all ages or be on the shoulders of a 17 year old who is playing basketball. It's like, it's all learning you know they learn mostly through play anyway so mm. it's uh, so the social activities of children in society is where they learn social not in an autocratic uh, society as the schools are most schools are so i'll give you an example when my uh, oldest was six years old and his brother was uh, two uh, we went to meet about something with these two old ladies. And um, my son and the lady started having a conversation about homeschooling of all things, because they were curious. We were meeting in the middle of the day and he didn't go to school. So they're talking and I'm feeling totally not necessary. He was holding it and I had some errands. So I said, hey, you're, you're having a nice visit. I'll go and do some errands. So I took the two years old with me and went away for like 20 minutes, accomplished something, came back. And when I came back, one of the old ladies says to me, your son, you know, he's very convincing. I really get it about homeschooling. There's only one question. What about the social? 
And I look at her and I, I say, what about it? Yeah. Oh, so people think that social is playing only with same age kids. They do. They do. Right. Totally. And I'm totally, children should play with children. It's very important. It's very wonderful. Yeah. But I always say when they're under three with triple age child, one-on-one -on -one with another child or two, no more. All this groupiness is not the way nature goes. It's not right. the way tribes behave. Then when they're five years old or four years old, they can start to double the age and it works really well. And then by the time they're seven, eight, nine, they can play with any age, younger and older. So they can be the playmates of little one or they can play with a teenager. They can play with anybody as well as adults as well as elderly talking right. with them. I mean, it's social no matter what. Exactly. In an uncompetitive, cooperative, tolerance uh, world of diverse people and children don't react to anything. Those difference in age on their own, if we don't teach them through school to fear adults, mm -hmm. they don't have that. Then, mm -hmm. you know, like my son at age six, he started having this conversation with these two ladies and, and I left him there alone with ladies he never met before. And he's just, you know, carrying on and running the conversation and giving them all this explanation. And he talked to other kids uh, who go to school and they always did the same thing to him, test him in math. And my other kid told me the same story. And yeah. And, why don't you go to school? Da, 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 da. It's important. You're missing out. Look, how much is so much time so much? And my son said to me, I didn't answer the question, even though I knew the answer. I told them, you nice. see, that's why I don't go to school. You're testing me. That's ugly. That's what you learn in school, to go around with people and test them. That's insulting. That's not a way to have a relationship. That's antisocial. He didn't say all of that. He right. just told them that's why I don't go. Yes. yes. Um, but that's another example of the antisocial, the competitiveness, the mm -hmm. you know, the, the bullying, the the same age. They don't know. They can't teach each other. The kindness that happens when a seventeen years old is playing with a six years old with understanding they're learning to be a parent and the six years old is getting the benefit of an older yet still a kid who understands them close to them it's right. so beautiful right right so does the homeschooling or child self-directed learning does that work for every child is there is there a situation where that's just not a great choice maybe a parent family situation a, a specific type of child I think or... it's for every child but not for every parent <laughs> but uh -huh. um, okay that's really it's very important to distinguish that because some parents are not and they would admit it themselves they would say to me so I, I would love to homeschool but I can't do it uh either because they have to work or they don't have the nature to trust the child yes or they or they think and that's a mistake that they have to know a lot um, and mm -hmm. I will tell you that for question number three, I didn't actually finish your last question. <laughs> oh, that's okay. You can build it in there. Um, okay. But anyway, it's not for everybody, definitely. 
but it is for every child, not for every family. It, and when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So send your child, if possible, to democratic school. If you have to use a public school, then take sessions with me on how to make the public school. Just a few sessions will give you hands-on idea how to empower the child to do the best they can in public school without giving up who they are. And I think, and I think it's a dangerous place to put kids personally in this day and age right now with the brainwashing, yeah, other day, propaganda, yeah. like more than ever, it's a place to just, oh, no brainer people, pull them out. It's uh, yeah. it's a scary place. Okay, so what did you wanna also say before you had another well, I, comment I you want to make? Just, um, you asked me about the benefits of being self-directed. Okay, yeah. Um, in general. So, you know, it's like we talk in our society about human rights and freedoms. And because the school takes away all human rights and freedom, a child has zero human rights, basically, in terms of the learning, and very few human rights as a human being. So when in, in the freedom, the advantage is there is no oppression, the child is emotionally free, he can invent and generate and stay self-motivated because when we keep motivating them, the self-motivation has to die, which is why some kids who have been in school and then moved to a democratic school or homeschool uh, spend quite a long time doing nothing because they have to recover the ability to generate their own life. And sometimes parents ask me, it's like, well, we quit school, but daddy is doing nothing. He's just sitting all day long you know, looking around and, you know, doing nothing. And I mm -hmm. say, you have to just let them go through that. Boredom is not boredom. It's self-realization, self-meditation, coming back to himself since he was in school and lost his connection to himself. Who am I? What do I want to do? What are my interests? Those things got covered up. He doesn't know what he's interested in. You need to give him time, maybe some activities as a family to allow exposure. Uh, but you know, the, the self-directed person invent and generate their own life, just like a toddler, mm -hmm. you know, they're determined, they fail, they get up. So the other thing is they're willing to fail and to get up because it's not being graded. <laughs> it's not being pushed. That when you don't push a child, they push themselves. Right. You don't discipline them, telling them, hey, work hard on this. They have self-discipline. I see kids, they're so self-disciplined when they grow up free, either in democratic school or, or in, in uh, unschooling. Mm -hmm. uh, so expose and don't impose, uh, but really don't impose. You know, I love that. I, I wonder how easy that is for the average person, even me knowing all this, I've been studying this, I've interviewed you a few times like that expose, but don't impose that trust is huge to know that they will get what they need yeah. to get to. I want to say something to that. You know, if, if some people who are listening to this may be religious, so I would say God didn't goof. Mm -hmm. and the non-religious nature didn't goof human being is born it's a time bomb it's an adult in a miniature body with the brain unfolding so not only you should trust them completely it has to do with respect of god 
respect of creation. Mm. Every time you intervene, you ruin God's design. It's not your design. Yeah. You didn't make this kid. Right. 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 So, you know, so exposing them, go boating, swimming, do sports, do dance, do, you know, take them to a zoo, to a farm or raise them on a farm, gardening. Um, they go for what is hard. You know that? They're, you know, in school, they learn to do as little as possible and do easy. But when you leave them to their own, they choose what's hard. They, they challenge themselves. They do challenge themselves. They do. Yeah. 100%. They do what's more difficult. They yeah. have an innate given play, plan for their optimal growth and they follow this rather than follow you or the teacher or the, the parent. So any teaching of any kind that wasn't chosen by the child, take the child away from that magical, God-made, nature-made program. We're ruining it. And, and on the other side of it, when it's allowed, they flourish. Mm -hmm. So it's, wa it's a waste of their time. School is a huge waste of time because it takes them away from optimizing themselves. So self-directed really means self-direction. Our job is to discover the child's innate guidance. How much can we make an effort to read the blueprint that's in there and follow that? Mm, that's so beautiful. And I think that expose, don't impose idea is really important now, especially in the time of YouTube and video games everywhere. It's so easy. It's like, if you're not exposing them, showing them all the possibilities, like my son will go to the friend's house and they're now a lot of them can't play inside because of the school situation was good. They do things outside, but they would go and play video games over there. Or, you know, they, they, it's just so easy at your fingertips to just sit there and watch. And that's not life. Life is not watching something or playing a video game. It's the other stuff. So I think even now more than ever, that exposure is huge. Yes. Yes. In fact, I tell parents when they tell me, what do I do? The child is uh, on the computer all the time. I say, just get them to something that's more fun than computer. Than computer. Go right. hang gliding, go uh, <laughs> boat ride. I don't mean that we have to do extreme things. But right. go do things as a family, go on trips, go camping, go canoeing, uh, go to concerts. You know, when you yeah. do things and you're all passionate and you do each person's passion, that's what we did. I'm, I'm totally not, we never did birthday parties. I think that's just a commercial, <laughs> commercial plan for shopping. Right. Among many others like Christmas and holidays. So I, I, we didn't participate in any of those things. We didn't do gifts. We didn't do uh, parties. We went here and there to birthday parties of family or, or close friends. Yeah. But most of the time, what we did is we asked a kid, what do you want to do for your birthday? And sometimes they may want to invite a couple of friends, go on a hike together the whole family. And sometimes they wanted to go to an amusement park. Sometimes they want to go to a theater. Sometimes they want to go, uh, our youngest took us to an overnight, um, to the aquarium in Vancouver. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, so I think we didn't, I don't remember, but we, we went to the aquarium. We, you know, we do all kinds of wonderful things as a family, much more fun. You know, because the few birthday parties they went to, they said really boring next to what we were doing. 
because what do you do in a birthday party? You know, maybe there is an organized game uh, that is usually competitive and insulting. I can give you an example, but I think we don't have time. Uh, and and candy, you know, it's like so everybody comes and everybody yes stuff their face with with junk that is unhealthy. The worst and, kind. And mm-hmm. Winter are likely to all of them get colds because uh, the combination the sugar takes away the immune system. It strips the immunity in the throat, which is the first line of, of defense. So they come home and half of them get colds and flu <laughs> after the birthday. Mm-hmm. Or in the summer, you know, they just stuff themselves and it's simply unhealthy. Um, so, yeah, so the few times we did that, my kids didn't think very highly of it. They, they really enjoyed whatever we did, boating or right. outing of all kinds. Or one of them actually liked to be at home and have ice cream together as a family um, and do other things as a family. So we had variety nice. of things. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's yeah. We've had very few birthdays as well. Very few. So, okay. So going back to specifically the schooling model, I think everyone listening, this is going to be a two-part interview. So we're going to stop it after this question. And then we're going to come back with more tips on how you could incorporate child-led learning into your world and maybe give you more confidence to know that you don't necessarily have to have credentials to teach your kid at home. That's at home. But I want to say like, is it possible to integrate, and maybe it's already, we've talked about this with the democratic schools, but is it possible to integrate this with the present schooling system somehow? Is that an oxymoron? Can we work within the system right now? Or can we somehow apply it and have your kid go to school? Like it's not everybody has these options. Yes, exactly. And that's a very, very important question. It is oxymoron because the school obviously uh, counters the child natural self-direction but the because the idea of schooling is training children to be who they're not who the system wants them to be the grading the testing the the you know the, the insulting of the testing and of being told what to do and all of that but I like to tell parents uh, and I did mention before but I'll go a little more deeply that if your child has to go to school support them their freedom support who they are don't support them to comply with the school right don't support them to go against the school say apologetically look i'd love to have you be free all day long but for so many hours a day i need you to go to school it's like it's babysitting uh and i want you to Mm -hmm. do the best you can with it without suffering so without suffering means you don't get very low grades so that <laughs> you stay in the same grade or you get punished or whatever um, but you know they're they have their methods of controlling of creating obedience um, so so that's the one thing that i teach parents is how to support and be on the child of the side and keep them as free as possible and keep the freedom at home don't do homework with them and don't uh, unless they ask you for specific help and don't force them to do homework, let them learn. If I don't do homework, yeah, I'm going to suffer in school and be shamed and stuff. And that's how school is. And then they learn it on their own. But I also want to say uh, that I have a school idea that does incorporate this. Um, there is a school like that in Switzerland, more or less, if it still exists. But I think school should be like a museum or a library, a place 
with resources. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's other than the democratic school. If you have it like a museum, so kids and families can come to it. If we wanted to change our public school, that's how, how we change it. I would have all the subjects, let's say geography or whatever kids ask the school to have. Maybe they don't have communication class or, or healthy food class and you create it and you have a room in which that's available and the kids can either play outside or go to the room where something is going on that are interested in or rooms that have the facilities and not necessarily all the time a teacher doing activity. It could be a music room, an art room, a geography room where you can come and draw maps. You can come and, you know, and a staff member can help you if you need, but most of the time kids don't need much help, you know? Right. So that, that's my, my idea. If, if you ask like, how can you integrate in terms of still create a school so parents who need to work in terms of the babysitting part, uh, but without doing harm. And let's say people don't want to do democratic school. I don't know why. It's fantastic. But <laughs> they want something, the kids. And in a school like what I'm describing, my idea, the parents can come too. It's really like a fantastic community center. Right. A place of knowledge, a museum of knowledge where you can go and participate in anything you want and facilities and books and library and videos and 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 facilitators who can help you um and you can create like in the democratic school say we would like to have this class and people can sign up and maybe one of the staff members offer a certain class we have a, a, a it's called fun house we have a center here that some private person created which is in some way similar to that not not oh, the school doesn't have all the subjects but a right. lot of learning happens there nice nice so that that's beautiful okay so this is a great place to start people so take that all in we're gonna come back we're gonna get into some more details about self-directed learning and the options maybe this is giving you some ideas about what you can create in your own community if you don't have such a resource available to you but know that I think most people can make it happen if they if they really want to. It just depends on well your personal situation, but also I think your hierarchy of values and what you really believe. And and also it might depend on unlearning a few things that we've been indoctrinated with in the past. So, anyways, thank you, Naomi. We're going to be back again, but for now, goodbye. Bye.